All right, everyone have Matthew 2 opened? We're going to go through the entire thing. You got to read along. All right, you ready? Y'all ready? Warren's ready. Yeah, he's flexing. Anyone else not ready? Okay, here, Mark. We're ready. Matthew 2? Sweet. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd by people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Thank you, Mark. Whoa. <clears throat> That's real good. Um, so the book of Matthew, like we spoke about earlier, was the book that the early church read. They would actually gather just like this, and they would just read the book of Matthew. And because they were living in the time, they knew Herod, They knew what everything had to do in context. They didn't need explanation. Preaching was quite a bit different back then because culturally it was just fully understood. But right now we live in such a gap that so much of what we just read is like, what in the world? We have this idea that there's three wise men. Am I right? There weren't three wise men. And they weren't there with Jesus as a baby. 
These were magi. These were more like wizards. They were astrologers. And there weren't three of them. We know that there was at least two because it's plural, but there could have been 20. We just have the three in our mind because of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It could have been much more. And they came and they found Jesus as he is an infant. He's no longer a baby. This image that we have is just so, it's just, it's off. But there's so much happening here. The readers would have understood it. And we're going to unlock a profound truth this evening. There is a nugget in here that is amazing. Are you guys ready? As usual, let's pause. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Let's just say, you know what? You instruct me. Like, the word is alive if we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and make it alive within us. We need spiritual discernment. So just pray for 10 seconds for the Spirit to fill you, and then we'll get into the text. Yeah, Father, we invite your spirit into this room and God, into each one of our hearts individually, Father. God, we just make room for you. God, we set this time apart. We want greater understanding. And Jesus, we want freedom. You came that we would have life abundant. So God, we ask for that life. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, many of you have heard of a recent martyr in our midst. His name is John Allen Chow. And at 26 years old, many of you have heard of this because he's been on basically every news channel. This guy decided that um, he was going to go and reach these people off of India, this little island tribe. And what he did was he, he went across on a little boat and he offered them fish. And he just he shouted out to them that Jesus loves them. And they, they were shooting him with arrows. And one hit his Bible, he said. And he managed to get back. And then he wrote this to his, um, to his parents. He said, this is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language, as Revelation 7, 9 to 10 states. Like, this guy loved Jesus. Many people criticized him, and, and probably kind of rightfully so, if he actually would have made landfall the viruses that, that, that we have probably would have killed everyone on the island in in short order. It would have been a really short mission, and the chance of success was really small. On his second attempt, he was just riddled with arrows, and he died on that island. And they had a hard time retrieving his body to try to not give the viruses to to this tribe. And I was watching this guy on YouTube, and he was calling him out. He was wearing a Buffalo Bills jersey, and behind him it was all Buffalo Bills. Everything in his room was Buffalo Bills, and he's really aggressive, and he's calling him out and calling him just a weak little, like, in, oh, it was just on and on and on, and I just thought to myself, you know what? That guy's love for Jesus and those people motivated action. It's what, it's what happened there. And this guy is sitting there behind his computer screen, spending thousands of dollars on his football team. At the end of the day, we spend our money on things that we love. At the end of the day, we spend our time on what we value. We all do it. This is who we are. In 1732, there were two boys. And many of you heard of these boys. There's, there's um, John Dober. And there's also David Nietzscheum. Well, I guess they're not boys. <laughs> 
they heard of an island of slaves on a plantation in St. Thomas. And, and this island in this place, they, they had no knowledge of Jesus. And the, the word was that the conditions were so bad. There was so much hate and violence that it was basically, in their words, hell on earth. And so these guys decided to go there. And in order to do so, they sold themselves as slaves and went to this island and were never seen again. And I just think, who would do that? Do you ever think, what's wrong with me? Like, I want to have more faith. I want to love Jesus more. I genuinely want to spend more time with him, but I just don't. I want to love doing devotions, but it seems boring. I want to hate sin, but I find myself loving sin. Do you ever find yourself having these kind of thoughts, just looking at everyone else and think, I bet you they're more passionate than me. I just feel like I just don't care sometimes. Matthew 2 provides a profound contrast. This is a contrast that's unbelievable. We find the Magi, and these guys are absolutely nuts. These guys have just traveled two months to get there. So guess what? They travel all the way from, um, from a place called Mesopotamia. We got a little map here over on the far right. This is in modern-day Iraq. These guys traveled at least two months. They walked for two months. And this is a Soyuz in the summer. This is Iraq. They walked. They paid dearly for this trip. Just every day they wake up and they walk. The next day, they walk for at least two months. These guys are absolutely convinced. These guys are going absolutely crazy. And how do they even know about the Messiah? Here is sort of the rumor back in the time, is that anywhere from the east was just godless and evil people. There were no Jews there. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't know about these prophecies. But something happened in this region a fair amount of time ago, about 200 years prior. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? You guys remember that story? They threw Daniel to the lions and what happened? They didn't do anything. And his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they threw him in the fiery furnace, and the guards all burned up, but they were fine. But what happened around then was King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he went to the Magi, his astrologers, his wizards, and he said, interpret the dream. And the Magi were like, we we can't. We We don't know. We don't know. And so then they said, there's a guy in jail that interprets dreams, and his name is Daniel. He came out. God revealed the dream, and the Magi were like, who are you? Who is this guy? And then when they threw him in the lion's den, the Magi were like, that guy knows the true God. And so then they started to pick up the Jewish scriptures. So then when this was fulfilled, they had been waiting for years. When they knew about this and the star They immediately were on it because this drove them. They sold probably everything they had to get this gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which would have been worth a fortune. So these magi, because of what happened with Daniel, they were like, we want this one true God. Isn't that so cool? Wow. Their emotions were stirred. Listen to this. They were so in love with God. This is Matthew 2.10. It says, when they saw the star... They were overjoyed. You're thinking, oh, 
That doesn't sound like that much love. Sometimes the, the New International Version doesn't put things very well. In the Greek, this is how they translate it. You can't over-translate the amount of joy. This is what it actually says. They rejoiced with great joy exceedingly. Whoa. That's not, that doesn't really help the Christmas story very well. So they just said they rejoiced. But it is such a profound joy. These magi were just exploding. So happy. They met him and they fell at their feet and worshipped. But this exact same news fell upon everyone else's ears. And it led to a very different response. Completely different response. Matthew 2 verse 3. It says this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. You see, he then talked to his people and they said, you know what? Dang, this kid's being born in Jerusalem. And as they searched the scriptures, they found that he matched every prophecy. And he was so convinced that this is the Messiah that he kills every boy under the age of two. Imagine, just fathom the reaction in the town of every boy under the age of two. It's just shocking. Something you need to know about Herod is this is that Herod was not a true king. He actually wasn't even from the line of David. He wasn't a king by blood or birth. King Herod was installed there by Rome to keep the peace. And it was a trial basis at first, but he built all these aqueducts and he was strong and powerful. And so they said, okay, you can stay. But he was never sure if he had enough power or if he was going to be overthrown. So as his sons grew up, if they looked like they were going to take over, he killed them. And then he killed their moms. He had nine wives. This guy was so insecure. This guy so loved power. But he wasn't even a real king. And this was a guy who just loved power. And so as a result, what we love, we pursue. The Magi come across this risen Savior. They come across the Messiah, the one who's coming, and they worship. Herod kills everybody. How about the rest of Jerusalem? All these Jews who have been waiting for the Messiah, finally one has come that matches every prophecy, and it says this, that they were disturbed, they were troubled. Crazy. You see, we pursue what we love. It's not about information. They all knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And some were troubled and opposed him. And some were overjoyed at the exact same revelation. Isn't that so profound to you? We're driven by our emotions. Every one of us in this room, we will do the things that we love. I hear a lot of things that people say to me, they say, you know what, if I can just see a miracle, then I'll know Jesus is legit. I hear this all the time. They'll say, you know what, that time where you cast the demons out of that kid named Dorian and his leg was healed, if I had seen that, I'd believe today. And that's not true. Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man ends up in hell, and he says, you know what? Send someone from the dead to go tell my brothers and warn them. And Jesus says, are you kidding? Not even somebody coming back from the dead will change anyone's mind because it's not about truth. It's not about information, not at all. After Jill was healed, 
on the way back from LA, I was in the bus and I'm like, okay, there's five guys in my mind that have decided to not follow Jesus. And now I have this proof that they will know. She doesn't have metal rods in her back anymore. She's completely healed. Not only that, all of their objections about scripture, we had found like beautiful, redeeming truth. And I'm like, oh, all their objections about the truth of Jesus are gone now. And I met each one of them. And I'm like, look, this is what happened. This is the truth about scripture. We sat down and nothing changed in any of them. They all objectively know that Jesus is God. They all know it. But it doesn't change anything. Because we pursue what we love, not what is true. This is what Jesus said. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's the things that we put our mind upon. The things that we live for, our heart goes there, and then we make decisions based on that. I want to show you a commercial this could be any commercial. Every commercial has the exact same purpose. But check this one out. Matthew, you got that there? Ah! Oh. You sure? It doesn't say gum commercial. Somewhere in the, the file. Chris, maybe put it in there. <laughs> Shoot. Okay, that's okay. In this commercial... this little girl gets a (laughs) boo-boo and her dad makes her a little origami what are they called dove yeah or crane out of the wrapper of extra gum and 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 it's all good and then a year later she's a bit bigger and and she's hurt again and he makes her another one and it just keeps happening and this little girl keeps growing and growing and growing and growing And all the dads are watching this thinking, my girl's growing up. She's going to grow up and forget me. She's going to forget me. And then she grows up and she gets married. And all of a sudden, she gets hurt and there's no more crane because the dad's not there. And she goes to her bedroom and spills this container. And there's thousands of these cranes because she saved them all. Because no one can replace her daddy. It's emotional. You watch this commercial and you'll cry. And I thought to myself, what in the world does this have about gum? Nothing. We didn't hear about the price, the taste, how long it lasts. We heard nothing about the actual product of the gum. But every commercial is designed to do something, and that is to move your emotions. Because we make decisions based upon our emotions. Every one of us does this. We will pursue what we love We all know this. You ever watch like Pepsi commercials? Is it trying to describe the flavor or the price or anything like that? No. It's mountain bikes and bikinis and like spiking volleyballs and people giving high fives. And you think, if I drink Pepsi, I'm going to be like that. I'm into Pepsi. It's all about stirring emotion within us. Every advertiser knows this. Am I right? Because you will spend on things that you love. This is the reality. This is what we do. It's our emotions that determine our choices. So listen to what Proverbs says. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart. It radically changes our decisions and our behavior. And this changes how we think about our faith and how we live. This is modern theology. 
You are what you think. And so as a result of that, in church, we'll often say, you need to believe exactly this and think this, and this is how you think, and think this way, and this is how we raise children. But this is Augustine theology. Deeper things that will motivate your life is what you love, what you desire, and what gives you pleasure. It's not a data issue. You see, we all know that lust is wrong. Everyone in this room. But it's a major issue. It's not an issue of knowing it's wrong. We all know that anxiety is wrong. But it's a huge issue. It's not a case of just saying, I know this is wrong and I'm going to stop worrying now. We all know that envy is wrong. See, one time, I will never forget, there was this kid at Juice Group, and this kid had a huge problem with drugs. And I'm like, okay, I am going to give the best message on drugs this kid has ever heard. And I nailed it. All the reasons why not to. How it will ruin your life. All of this stuff. And I thought, oh, that kid's done with drugs now forever. And he left, and we did the old handshake. And I'm like, you quitting? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm quitting. I see him the next day walking down Rutland Road, smoking a doobie. And I thought to myself, what is going on here? What is wrong? And our tendency is to double down, to just try harder. You know what? I know this is wrong. I'm just going to try harder. Religion says go after actions, and Jesus says go after the heart. I was talking to Sid Coop about this. He speaks at a lot of camps. And he said, you know what? I have stopped moralizing when I preach. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, I've stopped telling people what's right and wrong. It's not about information. He says, I tell them about Jesus. I go for the heart because it's from the heart that everything flows. It's from the heart. You see, desire comes out of communion. And whatever I commune with will deposit a seed that will determine my desire. I think we all understand this. If we commune with porn, it will plant a desire for lust. Listen to what James says about this. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. It's the desire that creates action. These last five years, we've seen lots of Christian leaders fall to sexual sin. And every one of them have preached against it. And every one of them know that it's wrong intellectually. But the problem is, is that we're driven by our emotion. And we do what we love after a period of time. And we've all seen it. And we just think, what were you thinking? How did you get to this place? If we commune with an angry person, it will give a desire and plant a desire for anger. Listen to Proverbs 22. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate one with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. If I commune with God, if I commune with God, He will give me desires that will change my life, desires that will set me free. You see, this is the biggest key to living a victorious life in Christ. It's the key that unlocks everything. 
Listen to what Psalm 34 says. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in him. Oh, delight. I just listened to this sermon by Charles Spurgeon. It's on YouTube. If you just type in delight in the Lord, Spurgeon, it's 50 minutes. It's mind-blowing. When we delight with the Lord, our life just turns on and our desires shift. Whatever you commune with, you will desire for. This word desire is a Latin word. I love this. You've probably heard this from me before. But the word de is the word of. And the word sire means father. So the word desire means from the father. My desires are meant to come from the father. Desire. When I commune with the father, my desires are from the father. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, he changes our tastes and our desires. We no longer look at the food of a pig and crave them, even while they grunt in delight. (laughs) We no longer crave what the world is grunting in delight over. We just view it as food for the swine, and we're like, I don't want that. My, My tastes have changed. If I commune with God, all of a sudden, guess what? All of a sudden, I don't want to sin. It's not a matter of knowing it's wrong. It's a matter of my tastes are different because I communed with the Father. Oh, that's a good word. There should have been some amens there. Okay, there's a couple. A lot of awkward laughing, though. You see, he's inviting us into a love relationship to delight in us and to a stirring encounter. And it's an emotional thing. He doesn't... Sometimes we think that emotions are immature. We think that they're a base level of who we are, but they're not. You read the book of Song of Solomon, it is emotional. And it's an allegory of the love between us and God. You can't read it and not be like feeling weird about it. Let me give you an example. Now, this is the Bible I'm about to read. This is an allegory, which means this is, this is a demonstration of the love that God has for us. God had Isaiah walk barefoot and naked for three years to reveal their complete depravity. God made them do all sorts of things. God made Jonah live in the belly of a whale. And what's really interesting is that, is that he was speaking to a people who worshipped a whale that looked like it had a man coming out of it. God always uses his prophets to speak about a relationship that we have with him. Listen to this. It says, Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns. Like twin fawns of a gazelle. What the? This is the Bible. This isn't from, you know, when I was a little kid, I'd go to Overweighty and there'd be those really weird romantic novels. I would look at them and my mom, my mom would slap my hand away from them. That's not what this is. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of, clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. What? It goes on and on. It goes on and on. You see, here's the thing, is that we think sometimes that our relationship with God should simply be head level. Our worship should just be 
just based solely on truth, but he said worship in spirit and in truth. You see, this is who he is. He wants this for us. Song of Solomon says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. I sang that as a kid. His banner over me is love. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I didn't realize that this was from the Song of Solomon. I didn't realize that this was talking about a sexual encounter between a man and his wife because it is supposed to be soul-stirring. Church, if it's the most boring place in the world, is not being true to who the Holy Spirit is. He desires to pursue us. You see, this is the greatest commandment. This is important. Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. It doesn't say love the Lord your God with all your mind. It's not what it says. It says with all your heart to begin with. All your heart. Sometimes there was a girl that talked to me about, about worship and she said, I, I don't think, this is what she said, I feel like the worship at pursuit is fake. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> talk, talk to me about what you're saying. And she said, every time we worship, I want to cry. I'm so happy. She just says, I'm so stirred. She says, sometimes it feels like there's lightning going up and down my spine. She said, it just feels too emotional. And I said, exactly. Exactly. Revelation 4 Listen to this. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling and pearls of thunder, angels, creatures, elders singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Millions of angels circling the throne singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. Now get this followed by every creature and on earth and under the earth singing every creature, every creature, billions to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praised and honor and glory and honor and glory forever and ever. Lightning and thunder. Soul stirring. You got to understand that this is John who's in jail and he's getting an image of this and, and he's trying to put it into words and the loudest thing on earth at that time would have been lightning. The brightest thing, sorry, thunder, the brightest thing would have been lightning and he's witnessing this and he's like, there's no parallel to this. It's so soul-stirring. Millions of angels shouting. In Psalms, when they worshipped, they did it with their loudest soul-stirring instruments, gongs. You ever heard a good gong? And lyres and cymbals and drums. You see, here's what worship does, is that it bypasses our heads and it goes straight to our hearts. It accesses a part of our brain that speech doesn't access. And that's why sometimes we'll hear somebody say something, it won't have much impact. But somebody will sing it, and it's like... Whoa. You see, when we love God with all of our hearts, it changes our desires. We need to worship. We have to worship. It's not base level or immature. We need to worship him often and with all our heart. Every morning as I shower, 
I have my phone beside the shower and I put on worship because I need to start the day by worshiping him with all my heart because it shifts my tastes. It shifts what I love. It changes everything. And he says to worship God with all your mind. And this is important. I was watching this documentary about the Explorer mission. Fascinating. And one scientist was talking about space and he said, this is what he said. He said, take a straw. And with that straw, look into the hole as you hold it above your head into the sky. He said, in that hole, there are a billion stars. And then he looked at the camera and this guy had tears in his eyes. He's just like, a billion stars right there. And he says, there are billions upon billions of these holes in our sky. Not only above, but below. That is God. Unbelievable. See, Colossians 3.2 says, this is how we do it. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is how we love them with our mind. If we watch garbage shows, guess what? We'll have garbage thoughts. If we listen to garbage music, our desire for sin will increase and my love for Jesus will decrease. We've all noticed this. We need to fill our minds with things that increase our love for him. We have a saying in our family, and, and we say it a lot. It's, it's guard your gates. Guard them. That means what we allow our senses to take in. If it's video games or movies or music, we say guard your gates. Our brains are so vulnerable. As a teenager, pretty much anything that somebody said, in my mind it was sexualized and funny. You guys know what I'm talking about? The whole that's what she said thing? All of a sudden, everything anybody said, would be like, that's what she said. And then everyone's thinking for a while, how is that perverted? I, I guess it could be that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody's always just thinking perverted thoughts permanently. And, as, and I just remember thinking that way so much as a teenager. But you see, when I choose to love him with my mind, I choose to only let things in my senses that increase my love for him. Listen to what Psalm 16 says. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's emotional. Oh, that's the path of life. When we're with him, we're just filled with pleasure because it's our pleasure that will drive us, not a knowledge. Herod had full knowledge that this was the Savior, but didn't care. The Magi had full knowledge that this was the Savior and were filled with a crazy joy. Unbelievable. I need to guard my gates. And he also says to love him with all of our strength. See, what is our strength? I know what you're thinking, Joel. You're not that strong. I've seen you without your shirt on. Fair enough. But I'm just as strong as you when it comes to what real strength is, and that is time. I have just as much time as you. Strength is our time and our money. When I give God my time and pray, I give him my strength, and this is a love offering, and I do this, and it increases my love for him. When I give God my money, I'm giving him my strength, and it increases my love for him. Isn't that profound? We need to talk about money in church, because when we give him our strength, he gives us back love. It's a love offering. 
And it changes our tastes and it changes our heart. And when we give him our soul, when we love him with all of our soul, now this is critical. Our soul is our identity. Our soul is the fact that we're children of God. That's who we are. And this is rooted in the fact that he loves me with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So think about that. Look up into the sky at night and just think, you made all that. And with that mind, you love me? With the strength that it took to create that, that's how much you love me. That's unbelievable. When we love him with our soul, we're recognizing the fact that we're not wretches. You guys are not wretched. We sit here and we just feel so bad about what we did this week. We just sit here and like, oh, you know what? We all know our own failings. We all know our own private thoughts. And so we come here and we think I'm not good enough and we beat ourselves up. King David did the same thing, and then he said, guess what? But I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He's saying, I am wonderful. You are wonderful. I'm wonderful. At Juice Group on Thursday night, there is this kid, and I know he felt bad about himself. And as I prayed for him, I just felt like God was saying, he is wonderful. And I looked at him, and I said, man, you're wonderful. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and I said, you are wonderful. And then all of his friends were like, you're wonderful. And we're all like, You're wonderful. And he was just like, his love for God increased when he actually knew who he was. We're wonderful. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then King David, he emphasized it by saying, and your works are wonderful. You made me. I'm your work. And I'm wonderful. And I'm your son. I'm spotless before him. In the book of Revelation, the elders are around the throne and they're singing in that whole procession that we just read. And guess what? We are all there and we're all dressed in white, pure, spotless. He doesn't count our sin against us. That's you. When you worship with all your soul, you're saying, I'm your child and you love me and I'm wonderful. And guess what happens? Our love for him increases. And guess what happens to our tastes and our desires? They come from the Father. They're all from the Father. I love this. You see, we live in perpetual loneliness because we look for this love in other people. Now that's important. We look for this in other people and you will never find this in anyone else. You will never find anyone else with loves you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You won't. You were created to be loved like this from God and you will be lonely. Even if you're surrounded by a million people that love you, calling your name, even if you have the perfect spouse, if we don't step into this truth, we'll be lonely. I promise you. We're going to worship and take communion and I'm going to invite you to delight in him. Delight. Enjoy him. Commune with him. He will give you the desires of your heart. He'll change your taste. He'll change what you love. And that'll radically change your actions. It'll radically change everything about you. Commune with him. Oh, he's going to give us new desires as we do this.